0: So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app of participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. On uh, behalf of the Chelsea Supporters Trust, welcome to the AGM. Thank you very much for putting in the effort to turn up. Um, we are officially Cora, I believe, Mr. Secretary. Uh, we've also got some people listening in on the Mixilla, uh platform that I use for the Chelsea Fancast, so welcome to them as well. Uh, we have some apologies uh, from some of the board members. Uh, Ramsey Shamas and uh, Charles Jackson are both away. Uh, Deb's Cody's unavailable, and Stuart Kinner is away as well. But also, I think we heard this morning from Richard Weeks and Dan Silver, who have both got their own varying degree of crises, whether they involve a dog or not, Julie, I'm not sure, but they send their apologies too.
3: <laughs>
0: really? Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Typical. Julie I expect nothing less than the gutter press, Dan. I imagine the
3: way that's still better
0: than Since we've already had heckling from the audience from the word go, which I obviously embrace, um, I will remind you that, of course, uh, If anybody does want to raise a question, and I really hope that you do, but could you please raise your hand and then wait for Mickey Microphone, who would be this man, to deliver you a mic. It's not so that you can be heard. Um, Hopefully anybody can be heard in this room. It's so that the people who are listening live and later on a podcast will be able to hear it. So just raise your hand and uh, it'll go through me and I will get Dave to give you the microphone. Um, We intend fully to have uh, a break at about three o'clock where um, I believe some sandwiches and other refreshments will be provided. Uh, There's already tea and coffee and some very nice, I can vouch for that, some very nice cookies over there. They're over there (laughs) to my right. Um, now, in terms of you know, the agenda today, I hope you've all had a chance to read the agenda. But uh, uh, first of all, we're going to have my chairman's report, which will in- include a very quick report on the accounts. Um, I'm apologising you know, immediately for the fact that I'm afraid most of it is going to be down to me, uh, largely due to the fact that Ramsey, who has taken over the responsibility for the membership survey, is not here to deliver his summary, so I'll have to do that. And also, we don't have our treasurer here, so again, I'm afraid it's down to me. However, I'm sure you'll ask questions anyway, but also Cliff and Dave and Paul will be contributing in various areas, so you won't just have to put up with me, I hope. Um, But anyway, so other than my report, a little bit from Paul on the Secretary's report. I'll be doing the membership survey summary, or the highlights of it, and then back to Paul for the board elections and the motions uh, for the... uh, for the next board. Uh, again, all of these details are in the paperwork that you could either have downloaded or or Chris would have given you on entry. Hopefully that will take us up to about four o'clock, or even better, a bit before. And uh, then we're going to hand over to the wonderful Dan Levine, who uh, fought a lone battle yesterday very manfully about clarifying the fact that we were booing the referee, not the, uh, the players. But Dan will be doing what is now our traditional Chelsea quiz. Uh, and I believe that Tim and uh, Steve and uh, Wayne, in fact, who is not here, are the holders of the trophy. And it's now sitting on Pablo's bedroom sh- uh, window or something. Oh, it's, it's because the yes. Um, if, if, just to make Tim feel a bit better, my team are also a man down because there's no Dan. So, you know, you might have a chance. I can't promise, though. Right. Uh, without further ado, we should get on with the, uh, the main business of the day. Uh, And just a quick uh, summary of the accounts, really. Um, I should point out that they are, at this stage, they're draft accounts, so they still need to be signed by me and Paul and the Treasurer, and they'll be submitted, I would imagine, by the end of the month. Um, But we have a surplus, as we did last year, of £5,272. This has gone down from last year. It was just over £6,000 last year. Um, This is mainly down to some increased costs that we have but uh, they're, they're mainly down to donations um, as you may or may not be aware we donated quite a substantial amount of money to the Jack Whitley campaign uh, but we've also donated throughout the year to some of the flag displays and we also sponsored uh, a small well we weren't the only sponsors but we certainly contributed to the Eddie McCready evening um, now it's kind of a slight departure from what we, we normally would have done in previous years but we as a board I think collectively felt that you know whilst we do have a a fairly substantial surplus that if there were things that were worthy and we felt were important and more more importantly actually kind of fitted in with our remit and our strategy then we should spend the money and we strongly felt that all those three things certainly ticked those boxes so we will continue to do that however we will always keep an eye on whether we can afford to do so so you know we're not just going to chuck it against the wall and, and not worry about it we we actually vote on it and discuss it at length at each board meeting before we make that decision. Um, subscription revenue um, was slightly up, about 1,800 quid, I think, this year. Um, I'm hopeful that uh, that's, a lot of that's down to the fact that we decided to change uh, the renewal date to G- uh, June the 1st. So the majority of people just kind of renew their subs annually on that date rather than doing it throughout the year. And the reason we did that was it makes, us a lot easier, it, makes it a lot easier for us to... Uh, kind of chase you all up and remind you to get your sub rather than doing it, you know, whenever somebody lapses, say, in January, have to chase them up. Um, that being said, and I mean, huge thanks should go to, to Debs Cody for very manfully taking on what is a huge challenge in the membership admi- administration, which she took over from Celia, who, who we sadly lost in terms of being on the board last October. It's a really difficult job. Um and there's still quite a lot to do. I mean, I, I noticed myself that there's quite a lot of LAPS members that we need to chase up and get involved. So, you know, in view of all of those things, I'm actually quite quite pleased that the, the membership subscription revenue has, has increased <coughs> that year. Um, as I said a minute ago, we're obviously going to try and uh, keep uh, that healthy surplus going, uh, not least because one of the main reasons we like to keep that surplus is in case there are any campaigns that we have to get involved in. I um, I think One of the obvious uh, campaigns that we could look to, which is unforeseen, is if anything happened with CPO and we needed to really galvanise and utilise the resources that we have at our disposal. So I think another way of putting it is a war chest, if you like. So that uh, is the accounts. Anybody have any questions? It being I'm not the treasurer, I'm delighted by that response. Okay, so moving on to uh, membership. Um, as I said, I think, you know, generally speaking, uh, the, the, the paying members are, are fairly stable, but uh, as, as I also said, we still have a fair amount to do, I think, in terms of the administration. It, it's, it's not easy to administer, even though, you know, the, the numbers aren't. I mean, we're not talking about tens of thousands here, but it does take a lot of work, and we had Debs doing it, um, who took over from Celia, but I think that we need to address this in, in terms of the new board. There are several kind of you know, non-strategic areas that we're involved in, such as the membership administration, membership recruitment, the website and the social media, that, that requires almost daily action. And I think what we're going to look to do is try and either co-opt or just find people who are prepared to put the work in to do that, because it will then you know, relieve us of that responsibility so that we can get on with the really important stuff. Um... We've had a little bit of interest in that from one of the newsletters that we sent out, but I, you know, obviously that's, the one, for me, one of the most important things that we need to do as soon as the new board's formed in September. Um, in terms of, as I said, the, generally the membership's quite stable, there's a lot of work to do to chase up some of the lapsed members, but uh, one encouraging thing, I think, and in particular given that uh, I think we, like so many similar organisations, need to work a lot harder to try and get younger people involved, But our social media presence has absolutely rocketed this year. I think we've got over 15,000 on Twitter. yeah. And it's an important, uh, you know, whether we like it or not, and some of the older ones amongst us might question that, it is a really useful tool to to get our message out. And, uh, I mean, I I won't mention names, but I can certainly say that uh, one of the people who stood stood for election this year, I think, has, you know, come via that source. So it shouldn't be underestimated about... uh, how important it is um one thing i think that we generally need to do much better in the next uh, board year is to really um you know implement a proper membership recruitment campaign um i think you know we shouldn't beat ourselves up about this too much uh similar organizations always find it difficult uh, engaging with people and generating that interest and actually it's, it's usually an indicator of how well the club are doing when chelsea do well People don't see see the need, really, but when they do badly or they hire Rafa, you suddenly see the membership increase. So I'm not wishing for a minute that we hire Rafa again, but, you know, we need to work a lot harder to get out there, engage with people, and and get them to sign up and be members because, you know, uh, we like to see ourselves as, as, as very much at the forefront of being the guardians of the club as, you know, with your help, obviously. So we do need to work harder on that, and we will... I mean, I know Richard's very keen, Richard Weeks is very keen to... Develop a strategy for that in the coming year. Okay, on to things that are kind of more to do with our activities throughout the year and what we're involved with. Um, obviously, the most pleasing thing, uh, well, the, the hottest topic for for us over the last two years really has been the stadium redevelopment and and, and you know any likely move to a temporary stadium. Uh, the most important thing I think was earlier in the year the planning permission for the redevelopment was granted. Um, of course, there have been delays in getting started, and I, and I think am I right? In saying that, um, we don't think anything will start until the end of—is it next season? Yeah. Yeah. So 2018-19. I mean, from our point of view, uh, the most important thing I think is to continue to press for dialogue with certainly the, the team that's responsible for the redevelopment, and to make sure that all of the supporter concerns about it, such as uh, you know prices, facilities, atmosphere, safe standing access for younger supporters and things like that are are, are put to them and that we have on your behalf an input into that. I mean ultimately it's us that are going to be sitting in there so I think that we we should have uh, a big say in that. Now as it stands there's no decision on a temporary stadium although I think most of us recognise that Wembley's the most likely Um, I have no doubt that the club will take note of Spurs experience this year to see how that works out Uh, We will do that too. And, of course, one of the benefits that we have of of being in a a supporters' trust is that we have alliances with a lot of other Premier League supporters' trusts, one of whom is Tottenham Hotspur. And, of course, we'll be meeting. We're going to give it a couple of months, I think, to see how they bed in. But then a few of us are going to have a meeting with some of their guys just to see what their experiences are, what kind of issues that have come up for them, uh, any issues, concerns, problems, that kind of thing. Uh, so armed with that, I feel that we'll be able to go to the club with a pretty you know, sensible foundation for discussion about what they need to look out for and what, what they should learn, if anything, such as you know, the issues that arose last year with West Ham's new stadium. Um, if you've got the benefit of hindsight, you should use it. So I hope that to get that meeting together in, in a couple of months. Um, as I said, I think you know, that being the case, that the temporary stadium, as it really was last year and, I, and certainly going forward this year, will probably be our most important issue and the one that we need the most feedback from, uh, from you. But also that's the area that we're going to focus on when we talk to the club, which we do fairly regularly throughout the year. Um, already, and, and I'll, I'll go into this in the survey uh, later on, but already you know, the key issues seem to be uh, the inconvenience that we might face, presuming it's Wembley of course, but the inconvenience in terms of travel time and expense, Concerns about the atmosphere at a stadium like Wembley, uh, the pricing, uh, certainly a need to uh, be quite um, relaxed with the pricing to encourage people in there. I think there's a a real concern amongst a lot of us that they might struggle to fill, if they try and sell it 90,000 seats, that's going to be an issue. Uh, Certainly because a lot of people are already brassed off with having to go somewhere else and they might not turn up. Um, Other things like seating plans, making sure we can sit with the kind of people that we're already sitting with, so to match that. And also places to to have a beer and socialise with before and after, which anybody apart from Martin... Actually, Martin may well be the designated tour guide if we go to Wembley, because he knows all the best places. (laughs) 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 But, I mean, that said, and with apologies to Martin, it's not a really good place to go and have a drink. So, you know, that is a concern. Um, Right. uh, As I said a minute ago, yeah, I mean, the drop-off in in our regular supporters, I think, is is, is a real cause for concern and worry. But... uh, Having said that, it's not all doom and gloom. I think that it does also present the club with a huge opportunity. If, if they are trying to fill a very big stadium, then surely that's an opportunity for more attractive pricing. And I think in particular to encourage a lot of younger supporters there. And also, more importantly, or as importantly, uh, those that have been disenfranchised in the last few years, those who have not been able to afford 800 900 quid 900 for a season ticket. So there are opportunities with that too. Um, Dave, is there anything you want to add to that? As you are the supremo for review development at the temporary sto- stadium.
3: No, not really. <laughs> I said it all.
0: It's the quietest I've ever heard him. This is suspicious. Um, we have a question, Mickey. Can you do the corners? Thank you. Hi,
4: Dave. Just a quick one. Do you know roughly how long the club expect us to be at Wembley? Should we be going there the season after this one? What's
3: uh, about four years. Full four, as opposed to three. Yes. Well, they are, they'd like to get it done in three, but the chances are it probably will take four. All these projects usually do drag on longer than the allotted time. So um, expect the worst and hope for the best.
0: That I, much as it might sound annoying, I, I think that's very sound advice really I mean obviously we don't know I mean the club won't even uh, Tim's got a question somebody wants to pass in the mic I mean you know the club are being very cagey at the moment in, in saying where it is our, our presumption is that it will be Wembley but clearly and I mean in, in a sense it's an advantage too they get the opportunity this year to see how Spurs do you know so in a sense I'm quite encouraged by that even though personally I'm not a fan of having to go up to Wembley but Tim
5: a quick one I- is it definitely going to be, as far as we know, 2019, when we move out to we stores? it might be 2020? Uh, well, there could um, be the hope that development
3: is going to begin there, and the development will probably not affect the actual staging, but rather the works over the uh, railway lines at the back, and possibly the Martian Health Club, where, the, you know, by the Matthew 5. That's where it's all going to begin. So, you know, if it it starts in 2019, that will probably be where it starts. So you probably
0: won't see any, or you might not see any actual work on the stadium until later. Yeah, thanks Dave. Anything else on the temporary stadium or the redevelopment? Okay. Right. Um, Atmosphere. Um, A very important thing. Uh, comes up every year in the in the survey. Uh, and one thing I should have said, by the way, is that I, I, I kind of elected not to really mention this because I've said it before in, in several SGMs this year, but we have restructured how we do things uh, on the board into working groups uh, to kind of match them to the key areas that come out of the motions that you lot uh, vote on during the year. And, and we do, in fact, have a stadium development, temporary stadium working group. Dave heads that. Uh, we've got an atmosphere working group, uh, which is headed by Richard, Richard Weeks, who's uh, sadly not here today, uh, and we have many others too which I, I might bring to your attention as we go through this stuff, but uh, as far as the atmosphere as uh, Working Group is concerned, I mean, they do hold regular meetings with the club, uh, and they're obviously actively involved with uh, many of the organised displays and banners that you see, some of which we have contributed to as a trust in terms of uh, financing them. And um, Without teasing the survey too much, I can tell you that uh, there's a general feeling that the atmosphere inside the stadium has improved, and I, and I do think that the work that the atmosphere group do has been very much the cause of that—not the not the only cause, but one of them. I think the main thing that one can say about atmosphere and, and our efforts to try and you know create a better atmosphere on the ground is that dialogue with the club is absolutely vital. <coughs> uh, I suspect, you know, in, in some senses, it's. it's it's, it's more useful to kind of rein in some of their really daft ideas that they just don't get, you know, like I mean, they haven't done this, but let's say some bright-hearted <coughs> wonk in the club decides it'd be great to have a band at Stamford Bridge or a drum, then we would be very quick to say, maybe that's not a good idea. So, it kind of fulfills a very important role uh, in that respect as well as actually creating, you know, more tangible uh, areas of improving the atmosphere. Um, kind of allied to uh, our atmosphere working group, largely because we think that one of the single uh, biggest factors potentially in, in creating a good atmosphere will be the introduction of safe standing um, which is a campaign that we've backed since the formation of the Trust and uh, those of you might remember that we held a a survey specifically on safe standing where we returned, I think it was a 96% um, you know agreement for it, which is remarkable and that is in line with most Premier League clubs um, Interestingly I think that we're We're at quite a a turning point with safe standing at the moment. Uh, Recently, the Premier League um, issued a questionnaire to all of the Premier League clubs asking for their views on safe standing. Not necessarily that they would want to adopt it, but it wanted to get their views. Uh, So it's very, very much on the agenda, not just from the supporters at the moment. Um, And I think one of the other, well, I mean, very welcome news that happened about three or four weeks ago was that the Liverpool supporters who have historically been quite resistant to it, um, you know, they see terracing. They, when, when they hear safe standing, they tend to think terracing, and, of course, they immediately think of Hillsborough, so one can understand their their resistance to it. But they've had a, a very interesting and a very well-organized dialogue. Uh, so I think it's our, our kind of equivalent, the spirit of Shankly, organized this, but they had public meetings. Uh, they had people down from Celtic and uh, police uh, a police presence in terms of you know crowd safety and all this kind of thing and they did it really really well and they were very sensitive to the Hillsborough groups who are still understandably quite resistant to it but they they put it out to the vote and they had about 18,000 people voting for this which is just staggering actually I mean that knocks everybody else into the shade I and mean, when we had about 5,000 when we did it and most trusts like us had a similar kind of response they had 18,000 respondents. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's in the it's kind of high 80s, but around 90% are in favour of safe standing. Now, for me, that's, that's quite a game changer um, in terms of trying to get them to be you know, alongside the rest of us in terms of our, 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 our desire to see safe standing come in. Um, however, having said that, the main obstacle is, is still the government and, and, and trying to change the legislation, although there's, it's slightly more nuanced than that. And sadly, Chelsea uh, do hide behind this and will never, well, I mean, every time we ask them, it's always, well, yes, we can see what you mean, but, um, you know, we're not going to do anything until legislation changes and we have to do something about it. Um, I'm very disappointed in that. I really am, because I think that is hiding behind it. And I would like to see the club take a lead on it rather than be a follower. That was, sadly, would require them to change the habit of a lifetime, but uh, it is a hope. Um... I mean, I I do understand, I mean, Dave will correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, I I understand that, you know, the proposals for the redeveloped Stamford Bridge will enable the club to have safe standing should legislation have changed by then. Yeah, correct. Yeah, okay. Thanks, mate. Um, Okay, again, again, of course, this enables them to say, well, you know, we're not going to do anything until we have the new stadium. So, you know, that's a good five, six years away, isn't it? So, therefore, it is very, very important for us and for you with us to keep campaigning on this subject, keep the pressure up, and I can absolutely guarantee you that we will be at the forefront of this uh, with the Safe Standing campaign led by the wonderful John Darch and also the Football Supporters Federation. And, 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 and we will press the club on this all the time because it, it seems to me that there is such a groundswell of, of, of uh, you know, supporter um, supporters in favour of this, that it cannot and should not be ignored. And I think the other issue is one of the really... Inter- I, I actually sat and watched the three-hour, two-hour public meeting that Liverpool supporters had on this, um, which was very moving for, for many reasons. But what, was, what, was, what really you know, struck me was the number of people that uh, said that you know, the current system that we have now, with, with seating everywhere, which is supposed to be safe, clearly isn't in a world where a lot of football fans still want to stand and I I bet you there's every person in this room has come away from a game occasionally with bruised or scraped knees and shins as a result of going A over T over a seat so they are clearly not safe and actually safe standing rail seating with the little barrier across in front of you will be infinitely safer so I think for me the argument is proven. Anyway, as you can see, I'm quite passionate about safe standing, even though the irony of ironies is that by the time it comes in, I will probably want to sit because I'll be too old. But there we go. Something for the young ones, though. Leave them a legacy. Right. uh, Again, one of the most important things that we're into from a a practical and a a tangible point of view uh, really is to do with um, the input that we have pre and post match in terms of uh, policing and stewarding and the dialogue that we have with the club and the police on that on that very issue. Um, the debacle we had um, in the League Cup game of West Ham last year being an absolute case in point where we did make our overtures before the game and warn them that these things will happen but actually to be fair to the club they were very good at getting us in afterwards and helped well we did the work and then they helped kind of put it out there but we did a very big analysis of what went on and we got your input and we sent that to the police so it does uh, make a big difference. Um, the other thing that we're, we're very actively involved in, although slightly you know, behind the scenes, is that we work quite closely with the Football Supporters Federation and ourselves, mainly Cliff and, and Dave, uh, when supporters are faced with banning orders. Um, the club have a, a bit of a habit of being a bit of a kangaroo court when it comes to that. And uh, it really does help when they get the representation of the likes of Cliff and Dave and, and also Amanda Jackson from the FSF to at least plead their case. Um, one of those. I just say something? Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to bring you in in a sec. Okay. Yeah, I mean, one of those. We had some great success with an autistic lad who got uh, arrested for carrying pyro. He hadn't actually let it off, and we worked very hard with a, an eminent QC and the FSF, and he ended up, he got off actually in court in the legal case, and then we got his his uh, ban from the club, and they tend to be immediately Cliff will tell you more about this. Um, we got that suspended.
1: Uh, on that very point, Cliff. Tell them yeah. more. Sorry, I, I just wanted to correct you slightly, Chief. The, 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 the club don't issue banning orders as such. Banning orders are just issued by the no, civil, civil courts. The club institute their own bans, which which only precludes people coming from uh, attending games at Stamford Bridge. But rather unfairly, they do that as soon as they're notified that someone's got in a bit of trouble, whether they've been thrown out of uh, Old Trafford or they've been arrested somewhere. They will immediately implement a ban on that person, even before they've gone to court, even before they've had the chance to, to put their case to, to, to the security people at Stamford Bridge. So that's where we hope to help people out. Um, when they, If they do get found not guilty, if they do go to court and they do get found not guilty, Chelsea will then... Um, take that ban off them, but won't necessarily reinstate the money they've lost uh, because of not being able to use their season ticket or any tickets they bought at Stamford Bridge. So as you can see, it's quite an unfair system, but unfortunately it's prevalent across the whole of the Premier League now that that, that most clubs do that. Um, So, you know, we feel it's unfair and uh, hopefully something will change with that in the future brilliant stuff and as i said uh, you know personally I'd, I'd like to thank cliff
0: and, and dave for, for doing a huge amount of work in that area not just on the on the you know the issues with the club but also wider with the police and working with a lot of the other trusts uh in in so doing um the only other thing i would say on supporters issues is you know we're, we're still uh, on the fans forum um it's well documented uh what our views are about the fans forum which we see as a well, I mean, you know, we're the only we're the only organisation on there that's democratically elective and therefore representative, and I think the feeling is that everybody else who's on there really just represents themselves. Sadly, it carries a lot of weight with the club. For example, their ticketing policy is—you could argue—decided on the basis of what happens at the fans' forum, which we think is just daft. But we have to be in there to get that, you know, to make that case. And I think uh, was it Debs that was our rep last year? Yeah, Debs was brilliant on it this year, and I think Chris. Chris will be our representative for the next two years. So on behalf of all of us, Chris, sock it to them for the next two years. Um, Go on,
3: yeah, Dave. I'd just like to make the point, um, underline it, um, that um, the club desperately wanted to do away with the fans for at one stage, yet um, they seem to use it when it suits them, as in the case of the um, ticket... Selling
1: policy and stuff like that, um, which is a sop to the supporters. If you listen, just to be fair to the club on this issue, it is a Premier League requirement that fans do have uh, forums of of varying degrees of of variety with their supporters. They do have to consult with their with their supporters. Some clubs still don't do this at all. Mm. Chelsea. when it was set up under Peter Kenyon, yeah. Name yeah. Name? Um, to be fair to him, he bought it in, and uh, it was four times a season the fans forum met with the club uh, prior to um, four home games in the season. They've now reduced that to three, and uh, they're all midweek dates, so people have to make a, a special, specific journey to Stamford Bridge to to be involved in it. So they do seem to be backing away from from getting people's views across in that in that respect. But as I say, to be fair to them, they do still consult on that basis. And, and you know, to be equally fair, they do consult with us. So
0: it's not like, uh, you know, the supporters aren't getting their voice heard in some capacity. Um, I think it's very interesting actually, because, you know, one thing you won't know is that Supporters Direct, who, um, you know, basically form the umbrella group that we are, we are part of, have recently issued a survey to all of us um, questioning how much access we do get to the club and how much dialogue that we do have them so it's beginning to be taken quite seriously and I mean Cliff's right you know this was a Premier League initiative uh, to try and insist on the clubs doing this and I think that actually came down originally from UEFA surprisingly enough and I think this is very much part of uh, the governance of the game which is something that we do get involved with with organisations like supporters uh, direct so the more Kind of global pressure that comes on this, the more access and, and dialogue we'll be able to have with the clubs who will be made to do that. That's the hope. Um, for supporters, it'll be absolutely no surprise to hear that uh, one of your biggest concerns is, is ticket pricing and availability. Um, and we, we, as a board, and I'm sure you are too, are absolutely disappointed that um, all the TV billions that have been ploughed into the game over the last few years have not led to a reduction in home ticket prices. I mean, I know the club have, have frozen them for seven out of the last 12 years, and they should absolutely be applauded for that. But the reality is is that prices have increased so much over the last 30. It's just out of the pocket of, mo- of a lot of people, a lot of working people. Um, and we absolutely believe that they, they, they should and could be a lot cheaper. I think the other thing is, as I said, the impact, therefore, tends to be very much on younger supporters, you know, the 16- to 24-year-old age group, and, and the less well-off. So, obviously, we'll keep banging the drum on that. Um, again, as I just alluded to a minute ago, a lot of the work that we do here is done very effectively in conjunction with other trusts and the Football Supporters Federation on, on the basis that we are very much stronger together. And when you have a, a large group of people uh, organised very well by people like Supporters Direct and the Football Supporters Federation, it can give you leverage and access to the people who wield the levers of power. Tim will talk about this very much in a minute, but it gives you access to the Premier League and Scudamore et al, it gives you access to the broadcasters, and it also gives you access to uh, the government and the DCMS, and actually, you know, that's how you change things, you know, because it is hard for us to get the club to change their mind, because at the end of the day, they're a private members club and they can do what they like, and they can listen to us and say, yes, yes, they're there. But when they get the external pressure as well as us, that's when we can get things changed. Of course, the best example of that um, is the £30 away ticket cap that came in a year or two ago. Um, on that note, by the way, I should, you know, should actually applaud the club, um, as we do actually every year for their uh, travel subsidies, because, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, on a Monday night at Sunderland, there'd be no way of getting up and back, and they'd be very good with that. And I've, am I right, Cliff, in saying they, they do
1: that voluntarily? They don't have to put yeah. the money in for that? and um, well, initially it, 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 it was done, well, Chelsea, I think, done it even before the away supporters um, initiative right, was was introduced. Um, they have done it sporadically over the last 10, 15 years,
3: I'd say, though. First one was the only cut final.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you know, for fair play to Chelsea, and, and a number of us people here go on the special trains that they put on uh, for away games, and it's it's really heartening to see young people on there, you know, a, a, who would not ordinarily be able to get to and from these games. So you know, hats off to Chelsea for that. Um, and as I say, it continued when this away fund initiative was set up by the Premier League. They asked each club to put aside um, half a million pounds. I think they was it or. Two hundred thousand pounds per season to, to do um, to subsidise either either travel or ticket prices for wh- whichever way they chose to do it. I mean, so, some clubs uh, used part of their money to paint the toilets in the away end at their ground and give out T-shirts or a free cup of tea or a hot dog or whatever. So it was it was used in some fairly uh, <laughs> unorthodox ways, if you like. Um, Chelsea far exceeded the, the 200000 that they were that the Premier League asked them uh, to use in, in this fund and again have, have, have carried it on. The, I think the away fund initiative fund uh, is no longer about because of the, the capping of the away tickets. So Chelsea have, uh, have um, kept the um, subsidised travel going with the £10 coaches all through last season and this and whatever subsidised trains they put on. And the subsidised trains cost them a hell of a lot of money to, to, to put on because they only charge a tenner for it and they get a fraction of what they, what they actually pay out on it.
3: They started off at about £20,000 yeah.
1: in 19, in
3: 2005 and now they're up to about £30,000. And that's just uh, for the hire of the um, trains and the uh, railway tracks. And then they pay the stewards. Yeah. And um, it's really top of Chelsea Football Club. Yeah. And, you know... We're not here to moan at them. We had a little dig about the fans' forum. We're not happy with the way that runs, and Cliff will probably well talk about. We're not quite happy with the um, uh, the club's policy on allowing the supporters' liaison officer um, dialogue with the supporters, which is also uh, wrapped up in uh, our moan about the fans' forum. But as far as the away travel is concerned, and subsidised uh, travel, they really, they have been a leader, as far you know, in this. And you know, they, 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 um, they've done it after. Well, we, we originally went to the club and asked them in uh, 2005, and they listened, and. Um, They've been spot on with it ever since then. Thank you very much,
1: if you're listening. And we, we do have a no- number of other clubs contact us on how Chelsea do it. And, and, you know, as Dave, Dave rightly says, Chelsea are leading the way in this in this stuff. Uh, I say I can think of three or four other clubs, trusts, that have contacted us and see how Chelsea actually do it. Because from memory, I think, on a regular basis, Chelsea are certainly the only Premier League clubs that put on subsidised trains. Uh, other clubs do it now and again, but very much now and again. So, And it also
3: it. should be noted that um, although um, it was Virgin who gave everybody a tenner back or gave everybody the chance to claim a tenner back when we played um, Southampton away, Cliff knows more about that than I do. But every other time the club subsidised tickets, I think Stoke was one at Christmas, wasn't it, not mm. to tenner That's down to them as well, something mm. I you know, that they don't have to do. And, um, you know, not to, not to the club when they're playing 68 million pounds for a striker, but, you know, if, to my mind at least, it, it costs them a lot of money.
0: Thanks, chaps. Um, yeah, so, you know, there's much to do there, but uh, there are areas where the club can be applauded. Um, of course, the irony with the, the cheaper away tickets in particular is, of course, that, you know, as well as the huge you know, demand that we have for, for tickets at home, it's, it's absolutely, you know, rocketed the demand for uh, tickets away and uh, has led to one of the most frustrating things, I think, that all supporters suffer with, Terry's grinning away, because I know, like many, you, you've suffered exactly that. It's the loyalty points and, the, and the, particularly the virtual waiting room. I mean, this is, you know, talk about trying to... You can't please all of the people all the time. I mean, we get this every year, and it is an incredibly difficult issue... Every year, and I'll talk more about this in the survey, you know, you, you get as many different opinions on what to do and how to do it as you do respondents. There is no simple answer with this. However, that being the case, and in spite of the difficulties with it, I really do think uh, this year the board need to try and get to grips with it and, and to look at the issue and consult with the membership and see if a more workable solution can be found. And actually, Tim Rolls has done some superb work on this already one of his famous spreadsheets. I'm sure he's not a closet Arsenal fan, really. Mm -hmm. But he's done a brilliant, brilliant analysis of it because what Tim does is he benchmarks it against other clubs. And it was released, actually, I think, uh, in the autumn. No, maybe in the spring. Anyway, it's up on the website, but Tim's done an initial kind of analysis of it, which I think we should and will use as the starting point for that kind of discussion. But, you know, it it might be a pipe dream, but if, you know, sometime next year we can come up with some sort of a proposal or a solution which we can take to the club and say, look, you know, you need to look at it like this, then we will. But I do recognise and appreciate it is really difficult, and we are not going to please all of the people all the time by doing that.
3: Oh, no, I'd just like to um, be, um, on behalf of uh, this board, be open and honest and say, um, you know, there's um, split opinions. To the <laughs> well, exactly. And, um, and yeah. I'm sure the split, as Chid just said, the split yeah, It's opinions, not easy. Throughout all the
0: sport. Yeah, I mean, it is. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, everybody wants to go to the games and have a ticket, and not everybody can. So if you're faced with that, you're going to have a problem. But we will try, and as I said, I think for me the most encouraging thing is that Tim has already done some brilliant work on it, which I really do think that we can use as the foundation for, for whatever we, we look at and try and do next year. Uh, and talking of Tim, um, again, I think one of, the, one of the most significant areas that we've been, been involved with this year, and I think... This really to me speaks of how the trust should work. Oh yeah. How the trust should work when it works well. is an idea that we've come up with, some really good work being done by one of our, our board and and then working with the other supporters trust to see if things can move on. And that's in kick off times. And as I said, Tim has you know, we've been at the forefront of the issue. There's been some great press in the last week about it. It's it's got some traction with uh, is it Tom Watson, Tim? Yeah, Labor the, yeah, the Labour Party, which is exactly what we want. Good press coverage, and and suddenly it's filtering through to to the Palace of Westminster, and Tim's led it superbly, and I, and I think he deserves a huge round of applause for the work that he's done on it. <laughs> I was going to say which we can give him after he's told us. But, but, there's, no, there's nothing yeah. better than getting the applause in first. Yeah, but well, he's only getting one. He's only getting one, <laughs> but, yeah. but, Tim, over to you, mate, if you could just tell us a little bit about how that all worked. Uh, just um, a bit of
5: clarification, actually, on the, um, the loyalty points thing and the, um, the way travel. I mean, these things are discussed with... Um, there's two meetings a year with the Premier League, which is Richard more Bill Bush and various sort of their, their functionaries, where one representative from each... If there's a trust, it's a trust, if not, it's another supporter type organisation. We've with, we with them, and you know, we can raise agenda items. Scuden Law, obviously, is a very sharp, slippery operator. But the only way you can pin these people down is actually to give them hard facts. If you say it's not fair or supporters, they'll just say, well, well, so well. But if you actually do, do the work, and, and we, we've done the work on, on a few areas, we've certainly done it on, um, on kickoff times, where we've analysed every rearranged fixture for the last six years. Um, in terms of TV fixtures, in terms of midweek fixtures, Christmas fixtures, and we presented that to not just the Premier League but to Sky and BT. And no one's changed the data, because you can't change the data; it's factual. And we've worked out how many games people can't get back home by midnight, and how many they can't get back home by public transport. And we presented this to all of them. The Premier League have, have, have accepted the data. Unfortunately, they don't seem necessarily to have accepted the, uh, the recommendations. Because if you take uh, this, two, two examples, off the top of my head. Last December, there were the midweek games in, in early December. All ten of them, there was no, for away fans, there was no, no one to get back by public transport. And the minimum return journey was 380 miles. It's almost like will. willful. Um, Newcastle, well, this December, have got three away games. They're all in London. They're all in mid- all mid-week and they can't get home from any. And their argument is that, oh, it's a wider picture TV companies put the pressure on. You talk to the TV companies, particularly Sky, and they say, well, hang on a minute, we don't create midweek fixtures. The Premier League give us the fixtures. The all they do is to select the games they want from the games they get. So the Premier League PR, thing is always blame the TV companies for everything. And certainly some of the games, you, you can, the, the rearranged TV fixtures you can certainly put on their, at their door. But what's interesting, now you given them the facts, certainly Sky, starting to realise that if they do want to wake out, they're having Newcastle playing at Southampton on a Monday night, or Chelsea playing at Sunday on a Tuesday night, this isn't done that three of the last five years, is impractical and it's difficult. So you then say to the Premier League, of course, if you're going to have these fixtures, what you need to do is you need to have the subsidised travel. You then talk about Chelsea doing other clubs don't. The school will answer that. We can't mandate the clubs to do anything. We're not. We're not a mandatory. And yet, on some things they will mandate. But on, 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 on that, they won't. But what's interesting, I think, is that at last, five, you know, these meetings are twice a year. We've had two. Got another one coming up. I think next month. Um, they're having to start to listen. We are starting to use. The press better certainly the work we've done on Hickok Times myself and uh, Cat Law from the, the Spurs Trust have done a lot of work on this and we've we've had you know a fair bit of media interest certainly in the in the broadsheets and to see the Labour Party quoting the report we did this week as part of the policy document is obviously very cheery it's starting to get out there as that it is the whole argument being we, we have is that the waste of quarters can take all parts of football it's not just the waste of anyway, there are people in this room who can't get home from home games that finish at 10 to 10, 10 o'clock. So it's, it isn't just a waste of it's mainly a waste of and that if they do it, they need to ameliorate it by, by mandating um, subsidised travel. Now, Chelsea, have, you know, with Chelsea games, you know that you can always get home. Whenever the fixtures is made, to Chelsea's credit, you can do it. The Arsenal fan, or Spurs fan, or Liverpool and Man United, you can't. So we said to the Premier League, well, one frustration we have is when <coughs> trains are, there's works on the line, particularly on a Sunday. And we went we did some analysis of that, games people couldn't get to because of the works on the line. But I think Everton away last season, it was difficult for Chelsea to support. This happens all the time. And, and they said, yeah, actually, we, we, that's something we probably could talk to the train companies about. So we do we get two weeks into the season, Chelsea-Everton. It's on a Sunday lunchtime, and there's no trains into Euston at all for that weekend. So we have to be listening very hard, and we're trying to get into a meeting with the, uh, the rail companies that the Premier League are making that difficult. Our end game, or not the end game, the next step is to try and get a meeting with the Premier League, both TV companies and the rail companies, and us, all in the same room, to try and agree some criteria and actually to nail a few issues where they will blame each other the Premier League, Scooter said he'd consider it. Because the TV company said that they were up for it. And the priests have said they're up for it as well. But for whatever reason, I think we can work out the reason, Scooter and Bush don't, don't come back to us on that one. We will, we will keep working. But they are they're difficult to nail down. But what we have done, by working together, and, and all 20 supporters of organisations on board with this, is actually to put some pressure on... Uh, the Premier League. I think to be honest it's a fairly easy issue conceptually. it's not difficult to understand that supporters can't get home from games. It's not and it's not like safe standing that might require legislation or involves the government. It, it, it's a, it's an issue that can be resolved within within football and with you know with the TV companies. So that they've now got the data, they understand the issues and the issue now is how we put we put pressure on them. And obviously um, getting Tom Watson interested and I think there'll probably be a meeting himself and CAT and maybe the Football Sports Federation with somebody from the Labour Party to sort of go
0: through the detail. is then try and take that and talk to other politicians about that. Tim, just sorry to butt in. Is Damien Collins aware and interested? Before before you answer that, he's the uh, chairman of the Culture, Media and Sport uh,
1: Select Committee. To
5: be honest, this only came up Thursday and Friday and I haven't haven't spoken to CAT, but it's likely, yes, we will,
1: yeah. Sorry, Jim. Just interrupt slightly. Um, there is a, a Twitter account with Labour, Labour Football. I think now that they're and they're constantly on there. I mean, even if you don't vote um, for the Labour Party, yeah, other political least, parties are available. At least they're out there and doing something. And, and recently, I've started following them, and they're, they're, they're constantly looking out for for ideas and problems that people come across. So, if you want to follow them on Twitter and and um, you know make use of what they're asking for. I think Chidgey T-
5: so, makes a good point because it isn't just the Labour Party, but you know anything we can do to get into the government. The problem is the government are never going to bring. You know they may bring in legislation, but they're never going to be number one issue. I think the other thing is. The, the, the big guns are probably going towards safe standing. There's only so many issues that, <coughs> that you know, the government are going to discuss. I think safe standing is probably more, more strategic and probably more important. But I think all we can do is no. in, get as many people. The press, without exception, are on our side. There is not one journalist who doesn't think this is an issue. Partly, I, I suspect, because you get London journalists have to drive back from Sunderland at Ten o'clock on a Tuesday night, but we've got that. We've got, we got the BBC. We've got Talksport on site. So you know, there is a there is a momentum there. It's just taking it the next step. And you I will talk to Kat this week,
1: and I
0: will talk about the, the Commons or the Commons Group. Cool. That, that, yeah. yeah. I mean, as again, you know, we should thank Tim hugely for his efforts and his work on this. Um, just to follow up on your point, Tim, I mean the reason I mentioned Damien Collins is that he's already put his head above the parapet quite a lot as the Chairman of the Select Committee in terms of a lot of football issues, so um, hopefully he'll pick that, up, pick that one up as well. Look, I, I'm conscious of the fact that I really want us to have a break in about 10-15 minutes, so I'm going to rattle through uh, the rest of this quite quickly. We are going to hear from Cliff on one of those subjects, but just to quickly run through, um, ticket touting still remains a huge issue. We kind of promised the club that we would help in some way to to deal with this or to, to, to make efforts to, to deal with it. It's not easy. We haven't really done enough. We will do more. Um, the CPO, as you all know, um, had their AGM in January. Um, whilst it might seem that uh, with some sort of a reality of a redeveloped Stamford Bridge, on the surface seems to guarantee football being played here forever and ever and ever amen. men, um, we still firmly believe that the, the best hope for that and guardians of that are the Chelsea pitch owners um, who we continue to support hugely. We have regular dialogue with Charles Rose who phoned me up this week to send his apologies for not being here. Um, he's also a great supporter of us as we are of, of, of the CPO. Um, as, as I said we had a, a big presence at the AGM there. there was most of the board, our board were there. Um, for those of you who were there you'll know that and we also made quite a lot of interventions And we supported all of their motions, not least the one to increase the leasehold, which we hope, like the CPO, will encourage um, the club not to to come back for a land grab. Obviously, there's so much in there and it's very complex and I can't cover it all right now. Uh, I, I will suffice to say that we will keep a very, very close eye on developments therein and with the CPO and, for example, with the situation regarding investors into the proposed redevelopment. Um, And obviously we will act accordingly, but with your wishes, of course, but, you know, thus far, you've always been very supportive of the CPO as well. Um, The safety advisory group, um, which we we've been trying to work with for the last two years. I mean, we're very disappointed that uh, we're still not able to attend their meetings, as many other uh, Premier League trusts are. Um, we do get input into the agenda before the meetings, and the council who hold them and the police, who are a very active part in it, are very supportive of, of us being included. Sadly, the uh, the barrier to our attending the meetings is the Chelsea Security Department, for reasons I cannot understand, but Cliff may be
1: able to elaborate. Well, <laughs> <laughs> not really, Chich. No, well, I, that's the I problem, mean, isn't it? The police are more than happy, more than happy for us to be involved. Uh, the council as well have given us good signals in the past. The major stumbling block, as Chiz rightly says, is the, is the security department at Chelsea Football Club, who rather sketchily have said in the past that they don't, they don't want to discuss contentious, or, or conceivably contentious from their point of view, items in front of supporters. Quite why, why I don't know, that remains within them. But we'll keep, we'll keep pushing for it and hopefully we'll get a breakthrough soon, and, and sooner rather than later and we'll get someone sitting on it because, as, as it says in, in, in Chid's notes here, everyone else is involved mm-hmm. in it, the British Transport Police, the Metropolitan Police, the Ambulance Service, the Council, the St John's Ambulance people, everybody that has an input into the running of match days at Stamford Bridge bar the supporters of 40,000 people that actually attend the games who might come up with some pearl of wisdom that everyone else has missed for, to make it a more easy easy going day for people but as I say we'll keep plugging away and hopefully we'll get a breakthrough soon Cheers mate um, right actually I, I could have left you with the mic there but uh, um,
0: one of the areas that is, is very very important to us and, and a lot of you guys I know is, is the work that we do in fact predominantly Cliff, it should be said, uh, in looking after what we see as the the Chelsea heritage. And, you know, that's evidenced most by the the clean-up group for the Brompton Cemetery. And and I know a lot of you uh, work very hard, you know, two or three times a year to go and get your hands dirty, literally, and get attacked by brambles in clearing some of the Chelsea-related graves. Um, And should be applauded for it. Um, But this year, uh, we've done something quite different. Um, Rick Glanville... Uh, managed to find that uh, the only, as far as I'm aware, former Chelsea player is buried in Brompton Cemetery, a guy called Jack Whitley, who played for us just before the First World War and then went on to be um, a trainer for us. And uh, we launched a special project to crowdfund a memorial for him. And uh,
1: the main man, who is here to my left, was very
0: responsible for that, so I'm going to get
1: him to tell you all about it. Yeah, it was nice that... um Rick managed to, to, to find this in, in an unmarked grave. It's at the, uh, the the north end, which is the Brompton end of the cemetery, uh, right near the, the entrance over there. Um, and I, as I say, it was in an unmarked grave because I, I think back in the day when, when he, he was he was buried, the, the family probably didn't have <coughs> too much money to put on anything, anything elaborate for him. So we crowdfunded uh, um, to put down a, a, a stone for him, a memorial stone, and... Um, um, we managed to raise five thousand five hundred to do that. Unfortunately, most of that money will go to the to the Royal Parks because we've had to buy the plot. I think it's something like three thousand pounds to buy the plot for the for, for the for the um, well for the le- lease it <laughs> lease it for fifty oh, years lease in fifty fact, yeah. years. Yeah, so we'll never fully own it. But anyway, we we've had some news on that this week. We've we've uh, we're in more or less completed the process of uh, ordering the stone and, and the inscription on it. And um, a bit of an exclusive, uh, uh, the Man City game at the end of September, which is a 5:30 kickoff. We're hoping that, that everything will be in place for that afternoon, and we'll have an unveiling of the of the stone for about sort of, 12 o'clock, one o'clock on the on the afternoon of the Man City game. I um, say so it is a 5:30 kickoff, so it allows plenty of time for people to do their their ordinary pre-match stuff. So everyone's more than welcome to come along. Uh, the club have, been, have kindly provided a um, uh, couple of hotel rooms for, for some of Jack's uh, family yeah. to come down and, and be uh, in attendance on the day and they're going to provide some match tickets for them to stay, to, to stay and watch the game um, so that's kind of nice um, also to add to this we, we were involved um, someone uh, 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 alerted us to the fact that Frederick Parker's grave down in uh, Hampshire had been Uh, a bit neglected so a few of us went down there in the summer to sort of try and sort that out Um, Rick has identified an ex-Chelsea player up in near Burton on Trent we're going to hope to get up there before the Leicester away going to do something on that Um, you know it's it's, it sounds a bit weird but it's quite a satisfying thing to do you know you go in there and it's an old Chelsea player part of our history and that his grave's overgrown it's it's bit decrepit, you tidy it up, it looks a bit smart, you come away with a bit of a sense of satisfaction. So hopefully it's something that we can develop again in the future and um, and maybe move on to, to other sites that, that Rick's identifying as well, but hopefully a bit more local than Leicestershire.
0: <laughs> yeah, well done for everybody involved, but I think also it, it's hold upon me to thank everybody who donated so generously and so incredibly quickly. I mean, we reached our target within weeks. And the campaign was open for three months, so that says a lot about Chelsea supporters in my book. And uh, I'm I'm delighted that it's Sylvia, isn't it? Who is his granddaughter? granddaughter. Yeah, she's quite elderly herself. She's quite elderly, not not too too well, but we're really she's really so excited, and she's looking forward to. Hopefully, she'll be able to make it down, and certainly her children, Andrew and uh, I don't know the other other other. names. It's going to be a hell of a day, and uh, there will not be a dryer in the house, (laughs) I am sure. But well done, Cliff, as always for the work that you do with all of that. Right, I've got five minutes and I'm going to whiz through the rest of this and then we can have a break Uh, and after our break uh, we're going to come back with a little bit of a Secretary's report from Pablo which I think is really just about the elections. Combine the the two. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. um, We we do all the election bit straight afterwards then I'm going to do a bit on the membership survey which will take about 10 minutes or do you want to do, do you want to do,
2: we leave that to the end? We'll do the survey first. Yeah,
0: alright. I can do the membership survey after all of that. Yeah, Yeah, cool. All right. So, very quickly, just want to have a a little uh, natter about uh, communication, which of course is is, is hugely important, I mean obviously this is very much part of that process. Um, um, We need to engage with you, we need to engage with new members, people who aren't members, and we have various ways uh, by which we do that. Um, We are constituted to have uh, four public meetings a year, this is one of them, um, the AGM, and three SGMs, Special General Meetings, every year. And one of those we elect to do virtually. So what we do is um, several of us uh, do like like what I do with the Chelsea fan cast. Really, we do kind of a, a live podcast, and we do, normally do that after the season's finished. But they are very, very important. Uh, I think the public meetings. It gives you lot a lot of chance to question us directly when people like me shut up talking. That is, um, and long may they continue. But I will say it's not easy. And ironically, one of the one of the biggest obstacles to us having an SGM which we like to to do on a match day, for obvious reasons, is the blooming rescheduling of kickoff times. You know, isn't that right, Tim? I mean, you know, we we try and book these things as as much in advance as we can, only to find out that they've moved the match. So it's not easy. Also, of course, on a match day, venue availability often makes it difficult as well. Although I have to say, and on record, massive thanks to the Atlas pub for hosting quite a few of our meetings this year. And uh, we did the Lily Langtree, didn't we, for one of them, which is a good venue. Good. Um, and, of course, the Chelsea Pensioner, who, who are lovely, and they, they give us the, the downstairs room to hold our board meetings. And without the support of these kind of people, it would be very, very difficult for us. So massive thanks to them. Um, there are other meetings that we, we I, I personally, a bit of a hobby horse of mine, am very keen to do, and that's to not just sit here in London and expect people to come to us, but for us or several members of the board to go out to other people. And, of course... The most obvious groups to go to are the official uh, supporters groups in the UK, uh, and Dave and I did that um, after the end of the season. I think it was end of June, was it? End of May? I don't no. know. It was. It was the end. Uh, yeah, end of May. Uh, we went down to the Hastings Blues, uh, their own AGM. Um, they, they've long been supporters of what we do and have been affiliate members pretty much since the work go and. You know, Mark Barfoot and all uh, et all are a lovely group of people. So, Dave and I went down there. They were very generous in accommodating us, um, for which we're very grateful. But th- I think the most interesting thing is that it gave Dave and I an opportunity to speak to—I mean, there was over a hundred of their members in the room, so it was a big meeting. Uh, but we got the chance to uh, talk to them about the trust, and these were not people who were necessarily members of the trust. So, you know, it's a really good thing to get out there, hear what other supporters have to say, as well as getting our message across. And, and we certainly hope to do a lot more of that in the coming year, because I think it's vital that we do. Um, we also have done a lot this year to try and, you know, engage with and re- reach out to overseas supporters. Uh, Dan Silver, who's not here today, but he's been tasked with communicating with them and reaching out to all of the uh, official overseas supporters groups, as well as the unofficial ones like Chelsea in America, with whom we've always had a longstanding standing relationship with and they've been very supportive of us and and i think again we need to reach out more to these people obviously the website and social media is another tool that we use Um, uh, we we kind of uh, relaunched or redid the website this year deb's cody massive thanks deb's thank you did a fantastic job in in sorting all of that out so it's now far more user friendly it helps to get all of our messages out but also i mean a good example of that actually was the the statement that we had uh, on the redevelopment back in the autumn which got so many views uh, the minute it came out that it crashed the website so it can be a really useful tool if we get if we get it right and we get the messages out at the right time it, it can have a huge impact i can't say i was too happy that the website crashed but there you go um the other thing about the website is that it's great and that it enables members to uh, sign up and pay via the site although what well, i should have said earlier on during the accounts bit is that you know, we recognize that not everybody has PayPal, so we need to be a bit more, uh, get the message out that you can pay. In other words, like a bank transfer and check and so on and so forth. We need to really adapt to and accommodate, uh, you know, all the different ways that you want to pay us or, or engage with us. I think that's the bottom line. Um, another area, of course, is the newsletters and our personal apology coming in here. It was always the chairman's responsibility to do the newsletters. Um, And Tim did a fine job doing that. Uh, Sadly, I just don't have the time to do one every month. So we made the decision to make them quarterly, uh, which is a shame, I know, because it's very important that for those of you who don't engage with us via social media or the website, uh, still hear what we have to say. Um, I would say on the other side of the coin, um, you know, doing it kind of once every three months gives us a lot more to say and a lot more news. So, I think you, you kind of win some and lose some of that. But sadly, I, I, I just don't have the time to do one every month. So apologies, therefore. Um, and lastly, um, you know, the media coverage that we get, I, I, we've always felt that it's very, very important to have a good relationship with the press. And that actually far more important, um, given the limited amount of uh, tools that we have to change things or, or, or really get the club to realise the error of their ways, the press is our, our, our most useful asset and tool. And as I said, from, from the inception of the trust, I think we've always been exceptionally good at uh, getting out there in the media and getting really good coverage and positive coverage. And I, I'm delighted to say that this has continued. I'm even more delighted to say that more of us are involved in that other than the certain person who happens to be speaking now. Um, and to that end, I mean, you know, Tim, for example, had a brilliant interview in a lot of the press and TV on the kickoff times issue. Um, and uh, you know we got some really good press from a lot of us on the stadium redevelopment, and uh, I had a, well, me and a few others actually did, did some good work on the Jack Whitley campaign, but I had a very long interview with Talk Sport who were very generous about their time with that. But it, it's really important because I think it underlines our credibility as an organization, but of course it's hugely important to get our message across because we get out to a lot more people than we would otherwise do. So we, we, we don't forget that and we, and we take it very seriously. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chige. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there, and it's not on TV. Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. I thought of
3: missing my beloved blue boy's (laughs) life. It's all too much.
0: (laughs) I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it?
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue.
2: They have?
0: Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. Right, we've had a Paul and I had a chat, and I'm going to stick to kind of stick to the running order that we had. So I'm just going to very quickly um, <coughs> scoot through the uh, the highlights of the membership survey, and I'm going to hand it over to Paul, who's going to deal with the board elections, and then jointly we'll do the motions. Um, on the motions, you know, well I'll talk about it when we get there, um, and then hopefully, and I really would like to leave a good ten minutes minimum. Uh, to get any questions from the floor about anything that you want to ask because that's kind of the point of the meeting. So without further ado, um, the membership survey, I think before we start talking about the membership survey, I I should uh, issue a huge, massive thank you to Celia who uh, took it under her wing for the first four years and made it what it was and uh, she, I mean we are forever in her, uh, her debt for having done that so thank you to Celia. I mean, the point being, it is without doubt the most important thing that we do each year, largely because it goes a long way to informing us on the motions that we draw up every year, which you then go and vote on, and it therefore sets our agenda for the coming year. Now, this particular survey, which is our fifth, uh, will be available to the membership first uh, on the se- in September, early September, um, but after that it goes to the club and to the media and to the wider public and we, in fact, have a specific meeting with the club where we go to present uh, the results of the survey and take any issues arising out of it to them. And they actually, I think, they they, they welcome it. Um, they, they see it, they, they recognise us for what we are, democratically elected and, and representative of, of a significant membership. Uh, so they do take it quite seriously. Um, First thing, uh, apart from that, really, is it's Ramsey Shammas who uh, stepped into the breach in October and took it over from uh, from Celia, and he's done a cracking job. Uh, Sadly, he's away at the moment, uh, so he can't present it himself. So I'm sorry for stealing your thunder, Ramsey. The other thing I should mention is that this year we we opened it up uh, to. I mean, usually it's just gone to the membership, but we felt um, that maybe the time was right to open it up as broadly as we possibly could uh, to make it as inclusive and therefore diverse as possible. Uh, the immediate response, even though we released it after the season's end, which I personally don't think is a good idea, and on that point, what we're going to do next year is we're going to re- uh, you know, distribute the survey for you to complete in April, so before the season ends, because I think we'll get a, get a bit more traction for it and things will be more uppermost in people's mind. Um, anyway, that having been said, uh, just opening it up at very short notice this year without much opportunity to publicise it, uh, we got double the response rate and i think what was even more interesting is that we got a much higher response rate, rate from younger people this time which is always good um right the key issues of it are um i mean just broadly speaking by the way that the questions that we ask generally stay stay the same year on year so that we can track changes but we will remove some year on year and add new ones year on year depending on what the current issues are so for example this year we didn't have a section on, on the European away ticket collection, for a very obvious reason, which I won't bore you with. Um, anyway, the key issues uh, this year, that uh, in, in terms of the responses, uh, the stadium redevelopment um, is the thing that concerns the membership most, uh, which has overtaken ticket prices and young player development, although they still loom very large, um, as does on-pitch success, but no surprises to know that people are generally happy with the on-pitch success from last year, whereas the year before they were particularly not happy. But I think, in, in you know, in, in practical terms, um, it's it's writ clear and large that the stadium redevelopment is the thing that concerns people the most. And I think, including in that, the temporary stadium, um, we, I think, we opened it out a little bit more about potential stadiums, although we tried to keep it as close to last year as possible. So. You know, we muted that the the choice would be Wembley, Twickenham and Stratford as we did last year. Uh, And very similarly to last year, the results came back that 48% would prefer Twickenham, 42% uh, Wembley. It wasn't Martin hitting the button repeatedly. Um, And uh, amazingly, 10% Stratford. In fact, Stratford has gone down significantly from last year, no doubt, uh, as a result of experiencing it first. Yes, indeed, quite. What a surprise. Um, In terms of the temporary stadium, and and, and you'll see a correlation here between what I was saying earlier in in my report uh, and and what we're seeing from the survey, which is exactly how it is. You lot inform us as to what to do. But there is a massive concern about the time and money uh, inconvenience that will be experienced from going to a temporary stadium, presuming it's Wembley, uh, particularly for midweek games. Um, There's also... uh, A a lot of desire for matching supporter sections when we move to a temporary stadium so for example taking gate 17 which is where I sit for an example to move gate 17 to an equivalent place at at Wembley or wherever Um, there's a a huge desire for a section for vocal supporters which I presume would be behind the goal Uh, and I'm all for that because we want the atmosphere which will be difficult if we do go to a place like Wembley Um, everything that we can do to enhance the atmosphere is a must um, a desire and an opportunity for the op- well. I mean, as I said earlier on, it, you know, it is also an opportunity, and I, a lot of people confirm this in the survey um, for more, you know, younger supporters to come along, and uh, a huge support for lower prices, uh, not just to attract the disenfranchised and the younger supporters, but also I think a genuine concern that um, you know, if for example we do, if for example we go to Wembley, and if we do what Tottenham are doing, you know, to sell ninety thousand tickets for, uh, let's pick somebody at random, uh, Stoke at home. Um, it's not going to be easy. And I think there's a real, there's also a real concern. I mean, in the survey last year, I, I think I recall, you know, there's something like 23% said that they were unlikely to renew their season ticket come the move. That's a lot of people. You know, that's, that's a, 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 you know, current money, 10,000 people. So if they're trying to fill a bigger stadium and ensure that all the people that are here at the moment go they are going to need to look at this in terms of convenience and certainly in terms of ticket pricing. And that is the drum that we will be banging with them fervently over the coming year. Um, Another uh, fan zones at at presumably Wembley were also deemed quite popular in terms of being able to actually socialise and having a drink in and around the game. Um, Talking of the uh, redevelopment specifically, uh, there was an overwhelming support for uh, an inclusion of safe standing at the redeveloped stadium. Um, another, again, a desire for, for it to be affordable for younger fans. Uh, the club to take a leading role in safe standing, uh, to retain the Shed and Matthew Harding names. Uh, uh, but no, people were not that bothered by, uh, you know, the East and the West Stand names. You know, they could name them whatever they like, but as long as we keep the Shed on the Matthew Harding end, I think was the the upshot of that. Regarding ticket prices, uh, the thirty pound cap, £30 cap for on away tickets was welcomed. Um, there's a huge, 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 huge frustration, as I alluded to earlier, with ticket availability and the frustration with loyalty points. Um, we did ask people um, if the current uh, system, in terms of the split between allocation between season ticket holders and me- members, should change. Current, is it 60-40? Yeah. Thank you. God, that would be embarrassing not knowing that, wouldn't it? Um, anyway, we asked people if, if you know, if and what that should be changed to, um, generally, people were quite happy for it to stay the same, although 40% were in favour of an increased share for season ticket holders over members. I mean, the bottom, the bottom line, as I've said, and, uh, you know, you'll not be really surprised to hear this, there's very little consensus on what we should do with loyalty, uh, loyalty points. Um, but, uh, and something we need to look at, as I said, uh, there is, however, a groundswell of support for reduced home ticket prices, especially for the younger fans. So it seems to me that we all speak with one voice on that uh, in view of Tim's work and to kind of back up the continued work that he's doing on this with kick, uh, kickoff times and as he was pointing out earlier actually it's about you know being able to take hard facts to people like the Premier League um, so we, we had a little bit more in depth uh, questioning on kickoff times this year uh, which revealed that Saturday afternoon 3 o'clock is the most popular time for football who knew? <laughs> I, I mean I had no idea god's chosen time for football who knew um and likewise friday and monday nights are not very popular at all uh, i think the interesting thing about that and, and this is why whilst you know clearly our focus is very much with the match going supporters home and away here uh, we do have an important uh, job to do to represent the interests of overseas supporters many people think that they they diverge hugely but the um Friday night and Monday nights being the least popular time for us to go to matches is matched by the overseas supporters who find it a complete pain in the arse as well because, you know, they have to work, it's often in the middle of their day or whatever. So we speak with one voice on that, which I was particularly interested in. Um, The only other thing on the kick-off times that that revealed anything of interest was the fact that for most of the people who responded, six to eight weeks' notice minimum for rescheduling matches is what is desired. Although, Tim, I, I, I would have thought more than that. Like three months would be handier for the travel ticket price, uh, 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 getting a, a train ticket.
5: Well, the, the optimum would be 13 weeks because that's when the train about three months, comes, uh, isn't it? And, uh, yeah. But the reality is, the Premier League have always aimed at six weeks. Sometimes it's longer because they announce two months at once. So they've just announced one up to the end of the <laughs> right. November. But the reality is, towards the end of the season, it could be going down for about four weeks and it's completely unacceptable because train right. prices.
0: Okay, well, as I said, you know, the thing to come out of the survey was that six to eight weeks is is acceptable for most people. Uh, And lastly, we kind of expanded the section uh, for overseas supporters specifically because they do have, you know, a unique set of circumstances, as one can imagine. Um, You know, for them, the two uh, points that came across most clearly to us uh, is their difficulty, you'll not be surprised to hear this, in obtaining loyalty points for the second half of the season. Uh, to the extent that some overseas fans will... will I mean, I think these are the generally people who belong to overseas supporters' clubs who get an allocation of tickets, um, but they found that they were buying tickets with, with no hope of going, just so they could acquire loyalty points, which is a classic case of the tail wagging the dog, um, because it, they find it harder to get t- uh, tickets in the second half of the season because they won't accrue enough loyalty points. And of course, as I said a minute ago, they, they, they find the match rescheduling... I mean, in some respects, actually, an even bigger nightmare than us. Because, I mean, I know plenty of guys in the States who, who are great mates who, who, you know, out of economic necessity have to book a flight months in advance only to find that the match suddenly ends up on a Monday night. And they, that's it. They've blown 500 quid, you know, whatever, $700, whatever, in coming here. And they can't even see the match. And it's classic. I mean, what the irony of this is that the Premier League, who are all over... Uh, growing the global brand and taking the ga- our game to people overseas are the people that kick the overseas sports and the nuts bigger than anything because of this. And it astounds me that they haven't thought that through. Anyway, on that happy note, uh, that is the end of the survey highlights. Uh, the full, full version, I have a copy here. In fact, if, if anybody's interested and we have time later, have a scoot through. I have the only copy in existence here, so don't steal it. Um, but it will come out, uh, be released to you all by email, as it always is. Uh, I think the first week of September is the aim. but Until Ramsey gets back from his holiday, I don't know. But the aim is September. But you're welcome to have a look if anybody wants to. All right, enough from me, um, Pablo.
2: can quite reach I'm sitting on it. Sorry. <laughs> this is all the very sort of procedural and self-explanatory part, really. So sort the of fun stuff. Um, so board elections this year, um, so Debs Cody is not standing this year, so um, thanks to her for her help on the board, but the yeah. Yeah, membership back means I think that's yeah, absolutely So very important, and also on the website. Um, so we do have nine people standing for the nine positions. Uh, which means that it's not a contested election and basically means that uh, each person you vote yes or no, if they get above 50% then they're elected and become part of the board and then kind of like roles and responsibilities can figured out after that. So as has been the case previous years, um, a survey will come out to all paying members on Survey Monkey at some point tomorrow that will give you the opportunity to vote for the board candidates and also on all of the motions that are outlined here which kind of fall out of what we've done in the past and what's come out of the membership survey and that's about it really. I, mean, I don't know if anyone's got any questions on that. It's all, all very self-explanatory and so it does what it, what it says. You can find um, there are some hard copies of the um, board member manifestos next to Chris if people don't have them and they'll also be available online when you are voting. You do they're on there. the website too aren't they? Yeah. And they'll be linked to on the on the voting um, cool. survey. Likewise, um, one of the motions are outlined here, but I think Chidge is just going to say a little bit more about them if needed, but well, You keep hold me. of that in case I need to ask you a question.
0: Okay. But yeah, I'm just going to run through them very very quickly. I'm, I'm loath to read them out in their entirety. Uh, you've heard enough from me as, as it is today, and anyway, you've all got copies of what they are. And I think the other, the, the other substantive point about that, um, and we discussed this long and hard at the board meeting when we, you know, started to kind of write down what they should be. But you, you're, the eagle-eyed amongst you will notice that they have changed very little from last year. And um, this is not necessarily because we haven't been successful in in, in in forcing through our mandate or uh, or have been lazy. It's just that, sadly, a lot of the, the, the same issues that we deal with every year are still very much there to be dealt with. So um, there are uh, kind of what I would call administrative stuff that we have to do, which is um, approve the board elections, which Pablo's gone into. And uh, did you discuss that there's an affirmative vote?
2: Yeah. So, yeah it's um, Yeah. Yes, so it
0: each candidate be. has to get more than 50% and then they get elected. OK, you know what to do, people. Um... The second motion is the approval of the the, the accounts, which you've got a copy with uh, with the annual report. Um, we uh, obviously the board have approved them, but um, there are a couple of kind of administrative things there that that, 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 that provided the revenue be, uh, remains below a £1, thousand pounds, a hundred thousand pounds a year, um, that we continue to appoint an independent examiner. And actually, on that point, uh, I should uh, thank. Um, when I couldn't find the right page. Is it Jeffrey? Uh, hang on, I, I, Jeffrey's Henry, who are the company that do our accounts, and they do it for free, which is very, very generous and kind of them. And uh, they'll be getting some promotion on the website and uh, possibly even the fanzine of Stuart, uh, Cajoles DJ, uh, to thank them for the work that they do for us every year. I mean, it's a quite an expensive thing to get our accounts audited, uh, or at least sorted out. They, they avoid us having to go to an auditor's for that reason. Uh the other one, is kind of working from these kind of substantive motions, but uh, obviously it's very important for us that we continue to work with our umbrella uh, organisation, which is Supporters Direct, and of course the Football Supporters Federation. And as I think as you've heard from me today, a lot of the work that we do with them really helps greatly in furthering a lot of the issues that are of importance to you. Um, so we would like your permission to carry on doing that. Uh, And then uh, the motions really are the stuff that comes out from the survey and from what you tell us during the year. And as I said, they really haven't changed fundamentally. Um, Forgive me for not reading these out in full, but obviously um, you know, to back our our, uh, concerns about the Stamford Bridge redevelopment and take those issues to the club, uh, the future of the Chelsea pitch owners, um, continue to press the club on the issues that we've discussed with the temporary stadium, wherever it may be, uh, the atmosphere issues and safe standing in particular, uh, ticket pricing and the availability of the tickets, items, uh, and the membership of the Safety Advisory Group, as, as Cliff was talking about earlier. Um, Where's Cliff disappeared to, by the way? I mean, he just realised he wasn't sitting there. Okay, fair enough. Um, ticket touting, uh, stakeholder engagement. I mean, that's a general one, really, but it, it, it really very much about us uh, engaging with everybody who has a kind of an external interest in Chelsea. I would call you lot an internal interest in Chelsea. So it's people like the, the local councils, uh, you know, local MPs, the police, the transport police, the football league, the football association, you name it, but actually giving us license to take the issues that are important to you straight to them. Uh, football in the community. I um, mean, it's a shame Cliff is having his loo break, actually, because there's, this is very much his area where we, we, we intend to work closely with a lot of the community. Uh, I think in particular, um, given that we're likely to be away from here for a significant amount of time, Cliff is very keen to go out to the local businesses, i.e. pubs and restaurants, and see what we can do to get their message across and help them. Because, uh, you know, I certainly, for one, am very upset if we come back here after being wherever we go to find that no, there are no pubs left for me to drink in. Maybe that's why they go bankrupt while well, I'm away. Who knows? Um, but no, that's very important to us—the club heritage that Cliff talked about earlier, expanding that, and last but by no means least, this is I think the only new. I could be wrong, uh, but actually interestingly enough, Yarin Levy uh, has mentioned this uh, on the Mixler feed earlier on, uh, and I will just for him I will, I will read it out. But uh, we've got a lot of uh, people from supporters' clubs, both here and and abroad, who have made representation to us and. Therefore, we're asking for a mandate to have representations from Supporters Club in the UK and abroad with regard to the perceived unfairness of the ticket allocation by the club to different categories of Supporters Club. I mean, basically, what's happened, I think, is that you have to have various categories of membership, platinum, gold, silver, bronze, that kind of thing. And it depends on the amount of members that you have, and that will depend on the allocation of tickets you have. And I think they deem it slightly unfair for various reasons. Anyway, they want us to be mandated to work with affiliates and other supporters clubs to identify a a potential fairer solution and present it to the club. So there you go, uh, Yarin. I hope you're uh, happy with that. So those are the motions. Pablo will be sending all of that out tomorrow together. It all goes by Survey Monkey, so very much like our membership survey. So you can vote for the board and you can vote for the motions. Uh, usually, you do so in droves, and they all get passed wonderfully. And I hope the same will be uh, said. Well, when uh, well, two weeks it's open for, is it? Yeah, so yeah. it opens, uh, two weeks
2: and close on the evening of two weeks today.
0: Cool. And then, yeah, and then we re- we reconvene as a new board. Usually, second week in September. First, second week in September. Uh, and then we will revisit, uh, you know, it's not, it's not just a shoe-in. I, I recognize that. So, we, you know, we will re-stand for our various either administrative positions or working group positions. And we will take it from there. Um, anything else to
2: add? No, then we'll just kick off and start working towards the first SGM.
0: Yeah, exactly, which will probably be in about October usually. Um, alright I think I'm, I'm done with all of that apart from one, one thing I should say um, because what I'd like to do is open it up to the floor if you have any questions we've got a good 15 or so minutes to, to do that which uh, I think is very important but before we do that I'd like to go on record of thanking the club profusely for providing the room the Holland Suite today and the refreshments that we've had they've been very generous and very kind in doing that and uh, we are very grateful and appreciative can give them a round of you can give them a round of applause if you like they are listening. They are. <laughs> <laughs> they've, got, they've got. They've got hidden microphones. You know. Uh, but no, I, gen- I mean, seriously speaking, it's very kind of them to do this for us, and they do it gratis, which should also be noted. So thank you. Right, enough from me. I think it's time to uh, Mickey microphone. If anybody's got any questions, Ben has. <coughs>
4: Yeah, with regards to the rebuilding of Stamford Bridge, something that does concern me is every design I've seen is three tiers the whole way around, almost slightly similar to the way the Emirates has done. <laughs> and that raises my concern about the atmosphere because I've had it from various right. Arsenal fans I know that they think that the way their stadium's now three-tiered has are mm. their atmosphere since they've moved there. So there's no way we could put the <laughs> calls to the club that we still stick with two tiers for the shed and the Matthew Harding. Same
3: as what we have now. No, well, it does, uh, as far as the two tiers is concerned, nothing going to happen because uh, the footprint of the ground is very limited, and uh, it's called the rake. That's which is in layman's terms the incline.
1: Yeah, for the lower tier.
3: At the lower tier, there isn't enough room for it to go back. So. In order to get 60,000-seat stadium, they've had to make it three tiers. But the corporates, which, you know, no disrespect to the corporates, because hopefully the new stadium, their money's going to subsidise the price of the, you know, the uh, terrace supporters, as it were. Um, they're going to be... They're, their presence shouldn't affect the atmosphere because it's going to be supporters in the Matthew Harding and the, and the um, on all three tiers the shed end on all three tiers. And the the, the yeah. corporates are going to be located in the east and the west. And it, you know, it's just the fact you know, if we had more people, wanted a one-tier shed end, which is never going to happen. And in this new stadium, I think it's um, no support's going to be more than 80 metres away from the centre spot, which is um, absolutely fantastic. Uh, in my opinion, you know, people can moan about, you know, the wrongs and rights of having three tiers and not having a one tier um, end, but uh, I'm extremely happy, grateful that um, we stay at staff Bridge, and, you know, to me, that's the main objective.
0: Anybody else? Paul?
4: About the survey and the timing of that going out, um, would it be a good idea to get it out before the renewals for the season tickets come out? Yeah. Because to be done earlier and earlier we're doing the renewals. since dark anyway. But if we get it out if there's any details we can try and put into it, then about pricing particularly. Yeah. Then at least then we can't backtrack on
0: what
5: they actually
0: said. No, Paul, absolutely. I mean we, we you know, for various reasons, one of which was that Celia um, you know, stopped doing it and, and left the board and Ramsey had to take over, meant that that's why we got it out, what I would call late. Although actually, historically, we've always put it out after the end of the season. But we did talk about it at the time when we were doing it. And Ramsey, who's, I mean, he's just like a dog with a bone on this. I mean, he's, he's been brilliant and he, he's going to hopefully continue to be brilliant. But yeah, that was the first thing that we said, was that we really want it to come out before the end of the season, which is why April was mentioned, which would coincide with uh, the, you know, the... the, the the falls for the new season ticket so hopefully that will coincide but I think generally we felt that you know at that time of the season people are are still very engaged with what's going on with the club whereas you know come the end of May we will disappear off and and we think about it less perhaps so hopefully not only will it help with the point that you're making but it will also help generate a a more considered response perhaps does that answer the question Yeah. yeah good
4: well, I guess it's the of it to so we the
0: club before we Well that, that will that will go hand in hand because if we you know if we if we you know release the survey for you to complete in April give you till the end of the season to do it you know ramsey should have it done I mean it is, it is a bit tricky because historically it's kind of coincided with a our need to draw up motions for the next year and the AGM. Hence the timescale now. And I think this is a good time for me to make this point too. Um, I mean, we're abs- I'm just I'm unbelievably grateful for you guys for turning up on a Sunday at uh, this time of year to do this. But clearly, having an AGM in early August is I don't think works very well. Because number one, if we have the AGMs here at the club, we can't have it on a match day. They are too busy on a match day to accommodate us. And secondly, a lot of people are still away you know, first game of the season August, and conscionable that may sound, people are away. So I think that we we need to discuss this at our next board meeting, clearly, but I I would be very much in favour of perhaps holding the AGM in September when more people are around. That being the case, we can revisit the schedule for when uh, the the survey results get released. And, you know, I, I, I hear what you say, but ultimately, you know, the most important thing is clearly is to get that meeting with the board and and ram it down their throat but you know is there an advantage for having that done earlier at the end of the season I don't know I mean you could say we should do it in kind of February you could also make a point for saying we should do it when they do their ticketing policy Uh, ultimately Paul I don't think there is an ideal time I think the most important thing is that it has to fit in with our agenda and obviously we have to get that message out to them does does that make more sense good okay thanks anybody else Ben that's all right. Ben, you you get a a five-question limit.
4: (laughs) Wayne's not here. I'll (laughs)
2: accept
0: that. In in lieu of Wayne not being here, you (laughs) get more. (laughs) (laughs) It's
4: two again with regards to the new stadium. Firstly, I've heard different figures mentioned in terms of the total number of season tickets we're going to have when we come back. Say it's at 60,000 seats, the new stadium. And the second point of mine would be the criteria for applying for those season tickets for... Members, would that be based on attendance at Wembley over say, our last season there, or say over three, or membership loyalty points from say our last season here?
1: On both counts, haven't got a clue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, uh, can I, uh, I just come in on that? I, I, as far uh, as far as I'm aware, Ben, there's no there's no. Um, they're not looking to change the existing structure they've got at the moment. So if you if you get enough loyalty points from this season, you will be able to buy a, a, a season ticket next season. So as far as I'm aware, it will carry on it, the last season at Wembley, if you accrue enough loyalty points, you will be able to buy a season ticket at the new staff appreciation. A new season ticket that is, not the existing season ticket holders obviously. Yeah. Um, and as far as I'm aware, out of the sixty thousand capacity, they might correct me if I'm wrong think they're still looking at maybe about 24, 25, 26,000 season ticket holders. The the increase will be on a on a match to match basis for for membership sales and or general sales if we can't sell out.
3: I'd just like to reiterate the point that. Um,
1: oh th- right. thanks, Dan.
3: Those people who um, are thinking of uh, having a sabbatical. Why are so you, you looking at, me? at <laughs> me? No, I'm just like. Um, for inspiration <laughs> uh, those people are thinking of having a sabbatical and not renewing their season tickets until we return to Stanford Bridge we've got another thing coming because that will never happen and um, uh, you're going to lose your season ticket some other support is going to uh, take up the option so if you want to keep season ticket you're going to have to go end
1: uh, Dan's kindly given me figures for, for the existing uh, season ticket structure at Stamford Bridge at the moment. For, for general admission season ticket holders at the moment, is 25,626. Uh, hospitality is 4,600. Uh, the visiting support the supporters obviously take up to 3,000. So there's only uh, roughly 8,000 general members uh, general tickets available. Um, Okay. okay, so I think the principal aim of the club is, is to increase the general admission structures in the new in the new uh, stadium, which I, I guess makes sense from, from uh, a revitalising uh, position because then you're not getting the same old faces in week in week out. Invariably, you'll get new people coming in. Hopefully, we're we'll livening up the atmosphere a bit. Obviously, they will spend more money in the mega store if you look at it, from that perspective. But I think that's that's uh, the, the the criteria at the moment. Oh, again, here are, here are the um, oh, it's proposed that there will be 47,000 new season ticket holders for the, for the new ground. Wait, that's not quite right. No way. No, that's no, no, no. general admission. Yeah, so yeah, general admission. I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. I'm not reading this properly. Seats, yeah, on corporate seats. So it has, doesn't actually give an actual figure of the amount of season ticket holders they will have for the new ground at the moment. But as I say, I, I, from, from, from what I've gone, they're looking at not increasing it too much anyway. Okay. I mean, one, one thing I would just add to that, and sorry
0: Tim, I'll bring you in a, in a sec, is that I mean, we know for a fact that all of our dealings with the club on ticketing is that what they do not want at the club is a closed shop there's a positive side and a negative side to that one is the positive is that they do want you know to bring uh, give the opportunity for more and different people to come to the bridge week in week out the, the negative side is well you know are they just doing it so they can sell more merch to people who are i mean you know the issue that we have is that Chelsea still has the, one of the oldest demographics of season ticket holders which is in the mid, mid in the, the oldest early. yeah which is mid 50s um, obviously I'm much younger than that um, But we do. And, and, you know, to our eternal credit, we've been here for for most of the journey. And that's why we don't want to go away. But we don't buy merch. We don't want to move. And, of course, by not moving or going anywhere until we get pulled out, um, you know, it does mean that it's harder for other people to get in. So I can understand both sides of the argument, really. I mean, one thing that I've always gleaned from the discussions about the... uh, the redeveloped stadium, is that there is a desire from the club to make it more accessible for younger supporters. And, you know, frankly, even miserable old gits like me who, you know, don't want to leave Stamford Bridge until I'm carried out, I I can't fail to applaud that, you know. um, We need to think about the legacy and the next generation of supporters. Because here's the thing, if we all get carried out together in about 10, 15, 20 years' time, there won't be anybody to replace us. And I think that, you know, the club are thinking about that. They should be applauded for that, even if it is at our expense. So, you know, maybe a bit of vision and a bit of selflessness might come hand in hand. Uh, I just one more point on what Dave was saying about um, the sabbaticals and the likelihood of getting back in. Whilst that may be true, uh, I should point out that in our membership survey, clearly turkeys do not vote for Christmas because there's quite a big uh, desire amongst the membership that they can do exactly that, have a sabbatical and then immediately walk back in. The fact that they may want that may be a material because I kind of with you, Dave. I can't see the club doing that. They're not. They just won't do that. It's commercial suicide. Okay, Tim. Tim wants I'll, to have a yeah. A couple of points. I've got a friend from
5: school who's uh, like on Spurs <laughs> think, a on A couple of points. One is that they have a, a season ticket waiting list. So he was number thirty nine thousand or something on that list, and he got an email saying, "Did would you like to get a season ticket while we're away?" Oh, so, yeah, interesting. And it guarantees them a ticket when they get back to the new White Hart Lane, whatever, whatever. And the interesting thing is, this Manchester United season ticket list, didn't a few years ago, it was a hundred thousand names on it, which in fact most of the people were dead or had moved on or got, got tickets on the way. We don't have a well, right, we don't have a season ticket. No waiting list, no. but we do have the membership.
1: Yeah. Visit. So. Yeah, but members can only buy when they've got the adequate yeah, loyalty points. Presumably
5: yeah. when we go, and the other thing about Tottenham, my understanding is that 97% season ticket hold of there renewed renewed Wembley, which is very hard. Yeah. The reason for that, I suspect, is because it's one year, so it's a novelty as opposed to four years, when it's going to be a great <clears throat> So I think Chelsea will have to do a lot more work to, to, to retain the level of loyalty. But it's a good thing, in a way, that we haven't got this mythical uh, season ticket waiting list. Uh, and hopefully enough members will feel that the short but I, I think if it is four years, Chelsea may have some words to go. I yep. take the point entirely though, there shouldn't be any sabbatical. Mm. And I should, they should actively encourage season to get to renew at when But so I do think it's going to be very challenging for them if it, if it is four years.
1: I mean, all these, all these are good points and, and ones that the club have to take on board. Yeah. Um, you know, if we do move to Wembley on a temporary basis, arguably the club have got to find 50,000 extra fans to go every yeah. week to, to games there. And then we come back to Stamford Bridge, they've got to find 20,000 people. So this is the time that they should be talking to match-going fans and getting the opinions of what they want. when we A, when we go to Wembley, if we do go to Wembley, the temporary ground, and B, when we come back to the new Stamford Bridge. So, you know, if, if anyone's got any ideas out there about a new, new, the temporary stadium or the new stadium, by all means, let us know, and we, we'll take them forward. I mean, one of the, one of the issues that has come up um, is that they want to keep people at the ground after the game finishes, so there's not a huge rush onto Fulham Road at, at the end of the game. So they, 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 they want people to stay having a drink, spending money, obviously, but... You know, people are not going to stay in the ground if they're uh, drinking overpriced singer beer out of plastic glasses. So, you know, people, they have to take that on board to give people some sort of um, selection of, of beer and food and maybe have to, that evening's match on show for people to watch. So they stay. If, if the choice I say is just sing a peer well, people are you just going to go out to the pub down the well, road. We, we
0: were talking about this yesterday, weren't we, in the pub? But I mean, given that Brentford are about to, you know, move from Griffin Park, and the the, the best thing about Griffin Park is the fact that it has a pub on each corner of the ground. Maybe we need to take that mantle on. If, if they had a proper pub, four of them inside our new stadium, which was a free house, so they could serve whatever beer they liked it would be brilliant. Because if you think about it, number one, how many pubs realistically are going to be around when we move back? Very few. And secondly, and more crucially, how many are actually going to let us back in? Having got rid of us for four years and got used to us not, you know, you know singing and, and, and getting very drunk, which is what we're brilliant at doing, having found a whole new clientele, we won't be able to get back in. So it might be the only place where we can drink. And the club should get their head around this concept. Because actually it would suit everybody. It would make the egress out of the stadium easier for them. They could make some more money. But if they do it right, we would have a decent place to go and drink where we can drink heavily and sing lots, which is what we like to do. Anything else? Any other questions? Ah, Paul. Hang on, Mickey microphone. All right, you preempted my question, which is regarding why do we get
4: kicked out so because the TVs get switched off. Yeah. and George the steward, as nice as he is, still wants to take our seats and
1: get away. I think it'd be just much better just to say the give us a bit of a chance to chat about the game. Yeah. Good point. I, I guess that might be something Amazing. Paul to do with the safety certificate of the ground. I, I I don't know and maybe having to pay the stewards to stay behind and, and, and stuff like that. So, but again, it's, it's a good point and it's something that they have to take on board in, in, in the new ground if they want people to stay behind. They're going to have to give you a choice of what you want to see and do within that within the ground for an hour, two hours after the, after the game finishes.
3: Well, as far as I'm aware, it, um, there's going to be, I don't know how many people been to um, the Blue Camp, the, um, um, what's it called, Manchester City.
1: The Etihad.
3: Yeah, the Etihad. They've got um, a section outside which is um, quite good, you know, where they've got um, burger bars and. Yeah,
1: it's a fan zone, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah.
3: sort of fan zone. They're going to have one in the um, in front of the um, west stands for after the game. But as far as remaining in the stadium's concerned, you've got to remember that um, footballers do a warm down and um, sometimes stuff like that for. um, Tactical reasons, I suppose, isn't um, always um, on. They don't always want the supports to see that for you know injury concerns and stuff like that. You know, they, uh, clean, they get on. Clean the uh, clean the terraces. Got the groundsmen working, and there's various other stuff that does go on straight afterwards. Uh, you know, whilst sports might want to remain in their seats and have a chat. A lot of other people want to go home. You know, they've
0: been here since 12, 11, 12 o'clock for a three o'clock pick up. You know, it's a long day. Okay, Tim. Uh, one more. For, I think. Look, can we make this the last one? Because we've just. Morning, okay, slightly past four o'clock, and Dan's champing at the oh, bit to do his quiz.
5: Yeah, I mean, Brighton do it. You can stay in the stands at Brighton and have a drink because the the, the issues with queues at form the stations. And we'll find that we will pay that later in the season. But if it happens at Brighton, then it can happen elsewhere, isn't, excepting that people can't stay in their seats if they're are, are under the stands or what you, Then Chelsea should certainly, Chris point exactly, overpriced single beer, no thanks. No. Proper offerings at proper prices. I think people will be. interested. Yeah.
0: I mean, what, what I can just to wrap this up and, and right. summarize all of that is that you know Cliff and I are, you know, we've got we've got the information from the survey that the remit is clear. Cliff and I are going to come up with a, a, something like a five-point plan in terms of what we think are the major issues uh, and concerns around as temporary stadium certainly, and I mean you know we can think about doing one for the redevelopment as well, but which we will take to the club because I, I you know it, we we go there with the the, the survey in total and it, it quite often can in a sense diffuse our our main messages because it's quite broad and and encompasses most of the things we talk about and I think we really need to kind of cherry pick what the the big issue and the big issue clearly I think going forward is what happens to the temporary stadium and secondly the the stadium redevelopment Okay on that point um, I'd just like to thank you all very much for coming along and I hope it's been useful for you and you've got some decent information out of it Um, and we look forward to you uh, seeing some of you at the first sgm which will be in october but uh, i'll keep you posted on that but thank you very much it's the 90th minute all your mates around you've got your mcnuggets share boxes ready to go your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget snatching all three points perfect order mcdelivery now on the mcdonald's app you in